0: It's been said that there are three kinds of people in this world, those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who have no idea what happened. Now, if you want to be in the first group, if you want to be somebody who makes things happen, somebody who accomplishes significant things with your life, there is something very important that you need. It starts with a letter G. Do you know what it is? Goals. You need to set goals, you need to pursue goals, you need to reach goals, but as we all know, that's a lot easier said than done. This is called my goals over the years. Goal number one, reading, 2013. I will read at least 20 good books a year. 2014, I will read at least 10 good books a year. 2015, I will read five good books a year. 2016, I will read some articles in the newspaper this year. 2017, I will try to finish the comics this year. Goal number two, weight control. 2013, I will get my weight below 180. 2014, I will get my weight below 200. 2015, I will try to develop a realistic attitude about my weight. 2016, I will work out three days a week. 2017, I will drive past the gym at least one day a week. And here's the last goal category, finances. 2013, I will pay off my bank loan promptly. 2014. I will begin making a strong effort to be out of debt by the end of this year. 2015, I will be out of debt by the end of this year. 2016, I will be out of debt by the end of this year. 2017, I will be out of the country by the end of this year. (laughs) I read that 95% of Americans have never written down a goal for their life. Isn't that remarkable? So if you've ever written down a goal, you're in the top 5%. And let me say this as we begin. This is so important. Goals are biblical. Moses had a goal to deliver God's people from slavery in Egypt. Joshua had a goal to lead God's people into the Promised Land. Jesus had a goal to follow the will of his father. And there was a man named Paul... A Christian in the first century whose goal was to follow Jesus with all of his heart and this is what Paul says about his goal he says this I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus I'm off and running and I'm not turning back so let's keep focused on that goal those of us who want everything God has for us if any of you have something else in mind something less than total commitment god will clear your blurred vision you'll see it yet now that we're on the right track let's stay on it and paul goes on and he says this stick with me friends and i would echo these words of paul for each one of you stick with me friends keep track of those you see running the same course headed for this same goal there are many out there taking other paths choosing other goals and trying to get you to go along with them i've warned you of them many times sadly I'm having to do it again. All they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross. And what Paul is referring to is the way of the cross is a way of commitment and sacrifice. And notice what he says. But easy street is what? Yeah, it's a dead-in street. Now, what Paul says right there is so critically important when it comes to goals. Because this is the definition of a goal. This is on your outline. What is a goal? An end toward which effort is directed. A goal has a purpose. You're aiming at something. You're trying to achieve something. And what does it require? Effort. Here's a young man that's exerting a lot of effort to reach his goal. And as we talk about goals this morning, I'd like to do this. I'd like to talk about some of the benefits of goals. And here's the first one. A person with goals has direction in life. A person with goals has direction in life. When you have clear goals, you don't just wander around in circles You don't do this. You don't just take the path of least resistance. You know exactly where you're headed. It's like the pilot that was having trouble with his navigation equipment, and he picks up the PA mic, and he's talking to the passengers on the airplane, and he says, listen, I've got good news and bad news. Um, The bad news is I have no idea where we're headed. The good news is we're making really good time. You know, there are people that just aren't very clear about where they're headed, but they feel like they're making really good time. Now here is another benefit of goals a person with goals has an excitement about life when you have really clear goals you can't wait to get out of bed in the morning you are just so passionate about the goals that god has helped you set your goals actually give you energy and let me ask you this how many of you would like more energy well that really comes from having clear and specific goals and realize this a person with goals Is typically more healthy emotionally than someone who doesn't have goals and here's why when you don't have goals in life you often focus on the past and you focus on the failure and the sorrow and regret of the past but when you have goals when you're pursuing those goals you have a different focus you're focused on the future and the opportunities and the possibilities that it holds Now, here's another benefit of goals a person with goals has clear priorities. A person with goals has clear priorities. When you have goals, it is so much easier to say this very powerful two-letter word, no. You see, if you're going to reach your goals, you have to say no to things that would distract you and keep you from reaching those goals. When you have goals, you have priorities. You know what's important and what's not in your life. And finally, here's a third or a fourth benefit of goals. A person with goals is more creative. Person with goals is more creative. If you want to reach your goals, you have to persevere. And listen, perseverance is not running into a wall and getting up and running into that wall again and again. That's not perseverance, that's stupidity. Because your, your objective is to get past this barrier. And when you're really passionate and intentional about reaching that goal, what you need to do is find a way over the wall, around the wall, blow up the wall, But getting past that barrier brings out your God-given creativity. And so a person with goals is is simply more creative. And realize this, just because you have goals, it doesn't mean that you're going to experience God's success because not all goals are godly goals. Obviously, if your goal is to steal the identity of 10 people every month, that's not a godly goal. And you can't expect to experience God's success. And so today I want to answer this question. What are the characteristics of godly goals? Goals that honor God and enable us to experience his success in our lives. Now, what I wanna to do today is walk through a story. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. It's the story of David and Goliath. Now, many of us are very familiar with this story. People in the church often know the story and people outside the church know the story, but it's so helpful in terms of this issue of what exactly are godly goals? Now, this story is found in the Old Testament. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you've got one of the Bibles that we're providing for you, it's on page 227. So here we go. What are the characteristics of godly goals? Well, first of all, it is based on God's purposes for me. Based on God's purposes for you and for me. Now, if you know the story of David and Goliath, David is this teenage shepherd boy taking care of his dad's sheep, but he knows something. He knows that his destiny is to be the king of Israel. His destiny is to lead God's people. And it's really fascinating because as you read the story in the Bible, if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, you read the story about David being anointed by Samuel as the king. And then if you go to the next chapter, you have this incredible story of him fighting this this giant Goliath. And here's what I want you to see. When David had the goal to kill Goliath, he already knew that he was going to be the next king. And so his goal to defeat this giant was part of God's overall purpose for his life. Now, what does that mean for us? Simply this, that as we set goals, they need to be consistent with God's purposes for our life. A number of years ago, we walked through a book as a church family written by Pastor Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. How many of you are familiar with that or have read that? Quite a few. And you know that in that book, he looks at a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 2 and he draws out these purposes for the church, but they're also purposes for us as followers of Jesus. And I want to do this. I want to show you our, our church purpose statement. It says this BBCC exists to reach seekers with the good news of Jesus Christ, to connect them to the local church through authentic relationships, and to help them grow in their relationship with Christ by equipping them to serve others as they honor God with their lives. Now, every word that's underlined is one of the five biblical purposes for the church, but also for us. Because God created us to know him, to love him, to follow Jesus. And so one of our purposes, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to reach other people, to reach seekers with the good news that you already know. And if you're a Christian, God wants you to connect with other believers. In fact, this is how God made us. God wants us to do this as well. He wants us to grow in our relationship with Jesus. He wants us to serve. He wants us to honor God with our lives. And here's here's what's important. When you sit down and write out goals... If your goal is not somehow related to God's purposes for your life, you need to go back and start all over again. Because listen, why would God tell us clearly what his goals are for us if he didn't want our goals to be in line with his goals? Now look at this verse. It says this. Our goal is to stay within the boundaries of God's plan for us. How many of you have ever heard the statement when it comes to goals? The sky's the limit. Ever hear that? Well, actually, the sky is not the limit. God's sovereign will is the limit. This is our verse of the week. You can make many plans, and we do, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. The Lord's purpose will prevail. And so when you're making plans, this is the place to start, on your knees, to say, God, what do you want me to accomplish with my one and only life? God, I want to bring that before you. And as you think about that and pray about that, and talk to other people about that, God's plans will become more and more clear. Now here is another characteristic of a godly goal. Its aim is to bring glory to God. Its aim is to bring glory to God. And we really see that in this story. I want you to notice that David's goal of killing Goliath has nothing to do with him acquiring fame or fortune. And yet at the same time, King Saul is trying to provide some incentives for the soldiers to go out and and fight this giant, who keeps defying God and the armies of Israel. And notice what he says. This is somebody commenting, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him, kills Goliath. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. Now I can just imagine some of the dads whose sons are in the army when the king says this, saying, hey son, you know that giant, he's not that bad. He's not that big. I mean, if you beat him, do you realize what will happen? I will never have to pay taxes again, and you get to marry the king's daughter. Now, the the goals that we set for ourselves can involve our desire for personal gain or personal glory. I mean, can you imagine the kind of glory that a soldier would have received if he actually beat Goliath? I mean, the guy would be a national hero. He'd write a book, go on tour, be interviewed on Fox News. I mean, it would be amazing. But even with all of these incentives, not a single soldier is willing to step up and confront Goliath, except for the shepherd boy, this teenager. Now, why in the world would a a young man like David volunteer to fight a giant? And we find the answer in these verses. Now, I want you to think about the reality of hearing David say this to Goliath. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Now listen to the confidence that David has. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that I am a great warrior. Is that what he said? The whole world will know what? There's a God, an almighty, powerful God in Israel. See, when when David looks at Goliath, it's not just his enemy. He realizes that Goliath is God's enemy. And when he defeats the giant, who does he want to get the credit? Not himself, but God. And that is so important for us. Our goals should be intended to bring glory to God. Now, here's another characteristic of a godly goal. It is motivated by love. Motivated by love. Some of you know that the Bible describes King David as a man after God's own what? God's own heart. Why? Because, well, David loved God. I mean, he loved God deeply, and he loved God's people. He was a shepherd of Israel, and as Jesus said, a good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. As you set goals this year, there's a very important question to ask yourself, and it's simply this. Why do I want to reach this goal? Why is it so important to me? Because there are all kinds of motivations that we might have for reaching goals. One might be just to prove that we can do it. Have you ever done that? Just set a goal just to prove you could do it or maybe to prove to others that you could do it? Or how about this? Somebody said, you can't do it. And you said, oh, yeah, I'll show you. And that was the motivation for reaching your goal. Other times we set goals because... We're trying to live up to the expectations of others. There are goals that they want us to accomplish. This happens sometimes in marriages. It happens with parents and kids. It happens sometimes when students go to college and they study what mom and dad want them to study. But they're really not motivated toward that goal because it's not their goal. Or how about this? I want to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever been motivated by revenge? The desire to get even with somebody, to hurt them as much as they've hurt you? That anger, can push you forward. It can motivate you to reach a goal. Now, we said before that a goal requires what? Look at the definition of a goal. It requires effort. Now, I know this, that godly goals require effort on our part, and God provides power, and so it's us and God working together. But I also know this, that the greatest effort you will ever expend toward reaching a goal is when you're motivated by love. And the greatest example of that is Jesus Christ. What was his goal in coming to this world and dying on a cross? It was because of his great love for us. And so this year, as you set goals, godly goals, in your family, your spiritual life, your finances, godly goals are always motivated by love. Love for God and love for people. Now here's another characteristic of a godly goal. It requires a course of action. It requires a course of action. If you have a goal, but you have no course of action, that's not a goal, that's a pipe dream. Because in order to really have a course of action, you have to have a specific plan that defines how you're gonna reach your goal. And we see that here. Now, in this Bible story, David has a very clear goal. In fact, you could summarize it in two words. Kill Goliath, that's his goal. Now, how's he gonna do it? Well, the first course of action was to actually wear King Saul's armor. And this must have been really almost comical because David is a teenager. And in the story in the Bible, King Saul is really, really tall. That's one of the reasons he became the king. So he's probably taller than everybody in the whole army. So you can imagine this scene. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. So it was probably dragging on the ground. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head, which probably turned sideways because it was so big. David fastened his sword, King Saul's sword, over the tunic and tried walking around. Now, can you imagine what that looked like? The sword's probably dragging on the ground. And it says he tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. And then he turns to King Saul and says, I, I can't go in these because I'm not used to them because they're just too big. So he took them off. So he, he realizes this isn't going to work. What's his plan B? Well, here's, here's plan B. Then he took his staff in his hand, his shepherd's staff, chose five smooth stones from the stream, because Goliath had brothers, put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Now I want you to see something. David sets a goal, kill Goliath. But when does he want to do that? Does he have a time frame attached? Yeah, today. He wants to do it now. Have you ever noticed that you can set a goal, but if there's no timeline attached to it, if there's no date, often it just never happens. Especially when we approach goals for the new year. Yeah, I really want to get in shape sometime this year. Or I'm going to decide to go to the gym three days a week starting tomorrow. You know, church, one of the things that I've experienced in setting goals, and and I've done this for a number of years, and my wife and I are in the process right now of looking at goals for our marriage and goals for our family and financial goals and writing those down. We've noticed that when we really pray and we sense this is God's goal for us, that there is a sense of passion, but there's also a sense of urgency. God wants us to do this now, to take steps, action steps, to try to pursue and reach this goal. And let me say this, as you set goals, if you don't have a sense of urgency, if you don't have a sense of passion, you should question whether those are goals that you've set by yourself or whether those are godly goals that God wants you to pursue. Now here's another characteristic of a godly goal. It requires courage. Requires courage. Now certainly it's going to take courage for David, who's a teenager, to go and fight this this giant of a man named Goliath. Bible scholars have estimated that Goliath was between 9 and 13 feet tall. Can you imagine? I mean, has anybody here ever been to an NBA basketball game? Those guys are pretty tall, aren't they? Well, Goliath is so tall, he can just reach up and grab the rim. I mean, it's unbelievable how big he is. And he's got all this giant armor. He's got a shield as big as he is. And so imagine what's going on in David's head and David's heart. Do you think that David was afraid as he goes to meet this, this giant? See, I think he was. It's natural to have fear in our hearts. But there is such an important thing to realize, and it's simply this, that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is stepping out in faith despite our fear. And that's what David does. He takes one step, then another, and then another, and he runs to meet this giant because he has courage. And listen, if you set godly goals this year, if you set godly financial goals, and I talked about this a few few weeks ago, the, the goal of what I believe the Bible teaches of giving 10% of your income to God, tithing, that's going to take courage. Just increasing what you're giving to God will take courage. If you're going to set goals for your family, for your marriage, for your kids, those goals, reaching those goals is going to require courage because this is what often keeps us from reaching goals. We're afraid. We're afraid we're going to fail. We're afraid of what other people might think about us. We're afraid of what other people might say about us. And that's exactly what happened with King David. He wasn't the king yet, but people had opinions about what he was talking about doing. Here's an example. His big brother says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men because he was talking to the soldiers about fighting Goliath, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle.'" And notice what King Saul says to David as well. Not exactly a confidence builder. You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight with him. You're only a boy. And he's been a fighting man from his youth. You can't do it, it's too hard. You're bound to fail. Friends, this year, every single one of us are going to face giants in our life. And those giants have different names. Names like anxiety, addiction, discouragement, depression, pornography. The list goes on and on. And there are voices in our head saying, you know what? It's too hard. You can't do this. You are bound to fail. You can't reach that goal that God has given you. And what do you do? Well, what you need to do is listen to the voice of truth. The voice of God that comes from his word when God says, I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. The voice of truth that says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and let me say this I believe that one of the greatest realizations that enables us to push through pain and push through obstacles and reach godly goals is this understanding that reaching those goals doesn't just affect us it affects other people and that's another characteristic of a godly goal it affects the lives of other people and that's certainly true In this story, because when David kills Goliath, it affects every soldier in both armies. Take a look at this verse. It says, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. Church, as we set godly goals, reaching those goals will not just affect us. Reaching those goals will affect our community and even the world. Now think about your own life. Because let's say this morning that you're married and you want to set some goals for your marriage. If you reach those goals, will that just affect you? No. If you're a woman, that goal will affect your husband. If you're a guy, that goal will affect your wife. And if you're a parent and you set godly goals for your kids, reaching those goals won't just affect your children, it will affect their children. It will affect your family for generations to come. And if you're a teenager this morning and you set godly goals... Those goals will not just affect you, they'll affect your friends. They'll affect your family. But here's something really important about reaching godly goals. And this is the last characteristic. These goals are achieved with God's power, not just in our own strength, but with God's power. Look at this verse. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. I want you to take a look at your outline. Because there are some categories for goal setting this year. And I encourage you to think through these, to pray through these, to talk with your family. And you can see them there, spiritual goals, physical goals that have to do with health and wellness, family goals, financial goals, vocational goals, things that affect your your job, your career, social goals, the relationships that you have with others, and avocational goals, hobbies, interests that you might have. And church, realize this that God's power, when it comes to goals, God's power is given for God's agenda. God has promised that if we pursue godly goals, he will give us the desire and the ability to reach the goals that he has set for each one of us. And I can't think of any better example of that than Jesus because Jesus had a clear goal. He came into this world to help people like you and me find their way back to God. Because Jesus understood the bad news about each one of us, that we come into this world with a heart that doesn't pursue God and doesn't pursue God's goals. Because God says, here's the deal. I want you to love me with all your heart. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. But we don't do that. And the Bible calls that sin. And we know this. Our sin separates us from a holy God. And and this God who is holy is, is also just. And so because he's just, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And that just punishment is for us to die and to be separated from him forever. But God had a goal. And the goal was to reconcile us to himself. And that's why Jesus left his home in heaven. God the Father sent God the Son to earth in the person of Jesus. And Jesus had a goal. His goal was to live a perfect life. Did he reach that goal? He absolutely did. At his trial, they couldn't make one charge stick. Jesus lived an exemplary life, a perfect life. And then by his choice... He allowed himself to be arrested and beaten and hung on a cross. His goal was for us to be forgiven. And he needed to die in our place so that could happen. Because this is what God does on the cross. He's willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. And Jesus knew that. And that's why he stayed on the cross. He could have come down. But he stayed there because he loves you that much. And then Jesus died. But had he reached his ultimate goal at that point? No it took three more days for Jesus to reach the goal of doing what? Coming back to life so that he can offer us a new life. And we receive that new life by saying, hey, Jesus, man, I have failed so many times. I know that I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I believe you died for me, and I want to follow you. And church, today, as we start a new year, it's a wonderful time to come and and to remember what Jesus has done for us, to look back and say, Jesus, thank you for your perseverance in reaching the goal of laying down your life and taking it up again so that we could be forgiven, so that we could find freedom. But church, this is also a time for us to look to the future, because I believe this with all my heart, that God has important goals, not just for you, not just for me, not just for our families. God has important goals for Boynton Beach Community Church, because he really does want us to make a difference. Not just in this place, but in this community and even around the world. And in the weeks to come, we're going to be talking a lot about that. How we can pursue these godly goals. What are the next steps that we need to take to become the people that God created us to be? And one of my favorite verses is found in the book of Ephesians. And it says this, that God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. How? Because of his mighty power that works in us. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. Join the adventure, and let's pursue godly goals together in this new year. This morning, as we remember what Christ has done for us, as we remember how he pursued the goal his father had given him, I'd like to read these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The apostle Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, just like we're doing today, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. You ought to examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. And I believe that Paul wrote those words for a very clear reason. He wanted people to to think about their relationship with Jesus and to ask the question, am I really a follower of Christ? Do I recognize who Jesus is and what he came to do? And I think, too, that Paul, as well as Jesus, wanted people to understand that this celebration is for believers. But Jesus continues to offer this invitation. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. When your heart is broken, when your dreams and goals are shattered, when there's sorrow in your heart, come to me. And you will find rest for your souls. And so, church, with that in mind, Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you. Thank you for inviting us to come and to celebrate your goodness and your grace. To not only look back, but to look ahead and realize that you've got great plans for us, God, to give us hope and a future. And Lord, I want to do this. If somebody's here today and they've never stepped across that line of faith, they've never clearly made a commitment to follow Jesus, I just want to give them an opportunity to, to pray this in their heart just to tell you, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I failed you so many times in so many ways. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he came back to life. And I want a new life, God. I need a new life. And so today, I choose to follow Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who have made that choice, I just want to do this as well, Lord. I want us to have a chance just to be quiet. And Lord, if there's anything in our hearts that that displeases you, God, would you bring that to mind so that we can confess it to you and turn away from it? Father, we thank you for the promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, thank you that because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, our past really is settled. God, our future is assured, and you have promised to give us the strength for everything that happens in our life today. And so now, Lord, as we come to this table, I pray that that you would make us especially sensitive, Father, to the presence of your spirit here. God, give us a sense of of your peace and your power and help us to celebrate your pardon. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite you just to remain seated for a few moments and think about God's goodness and God's grace to you. And in just a few moments, as the music continues to play, come. Come to this table because Jesus invites you to come to receive his grace. And please hold on to the elements so that we can celebrate communion together.